Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. You can hear me. Talk Thank you, Kaipo. You did good this morning. Live. I thought I was going to have to whoop you there for a while. <laughs> what? You like tomatoes? <laughs> oh, my. <clears throat> now, the first thing we want to do to catch us up to where, we, where we've been going is go to, uh, with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16. Because we've been talking about the one thing to know that really matters in life, and that is to know the right thing about Jesus Christ and who he was. We've been talking about it from the standpoint of John chapter 16, or yes, John chapter 16 and chapter 17, which we're going to be back to in just a moment, maybe. But in Matthew 16, one who was in the group to whom Jesus was speaking to in John, he's talking to here very specifically in Matthew chapter 16. And I want to read to you uh, the, the passage here from 13, chapter 16, 13 through 19, about Peter's confession. <clears throat> about who, who Christ was and then how he responds to that back to where we were in John chapter 16, because in knowing the right thing about Jesus, that is wherein lies our hope. If you don't have Jesus right, your hope is as flawed as your knowledge. I don't want to live that way. I don't think you do either. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, now when Jesus came into this district, of Caesarea Philippi. You can go there if you want to. It's a real place. He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. But still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there were multiple opinions, just as there are today, about who was Jesus. Who was the Son of Man? And that is as varied today as it ever was. And we're trying to take out the variables, bring it down to who he was. But in verse 15, Jesus said to them, all right, that's what other folks are saying. 
but they're not the ones who determine the facts. We have to remember in life that what we believe isn't what determines what's real. We need to believe what is real. Our believing something is, has no effect on whether it's right or wrong. I believe somebody will get sick. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. They either get sick or they get, you know, they don't get sick. It doesn't have anything to do with what I believe about it. <clears throat> but a lot of folks believe that if what they believe is what they believe, that's what they believe, and therefore belief will be all they need. Well, everybody's got some kind of a belief, even if it's a non-belief. They believe they don't need it. So that's no substance. That's empty-headedness. The Bible calls for empty head the word fool is the word empty head. That's just foolishness. So Jesus said to them, but who do you? You who have been with me. You who have been with me from the very beginning. Who do you say that I am? Now, before we go on there, You need, to re, you need to think about this, is, is that <clears throat> if Jesus was something other than man, there would be no need for him to ask anybody anything because everybody would have known. But because he came as one of us while in the days of his flesh for a little while, there was the question mark, really, who is he? That's what le- legitimizes this question. So, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter in verse 16 has the statement that becomes the foundation of the church. You are the Christ. Who can tell me what the word Christ means? Quick. $1,000 bill, real quick. Who do you say? Uh, not quite, but you miss out on the thousand bucks, but how about five hundred? <laughs> oh, the anointed one. There you go. The one who has been anointed by God. <clears throat> he is the anointed one. You are the anointed one. The son of the living God. Because in that statement you have his origin established. His origin is where? God. And then he put aside his identity with God in Philippians chapter 2 to become as one of us while in the days of his flesh. And he said, you are the anointed one. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And verse 17, Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to talk about one word here in verse 17, and that's the word reveal. That's a, that's a verb. That word reveal is telling us that flesh and blood, not right or wrong in themselves, but they did not uncover the truth about Jesus. 
And that's what the word reveal means. It means to take off the cover. Taking off the cover. Taking off the wrapping of a Christmas present. You don't know what's in that package. Haven't got a clue. Oh, you might shake it, hear it rattle. But it it's needs to have the cover removed before you know what's in it. And it says that flesh and blood cannot reveal who Jesus was. That unwrapping, that uncovering has to be done by the Father. And Jesus was, and the Father was doing that through Jesus. So he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Also I say to you in verse 14, that you are Peter. And upon the rock of your confession, by the way, the word rock there is in one gender. Peter is in another gender. One word for Peter, a different word for rock. The word for Peter is a little pebble. The pebble is not the rock. That's why there's a distinction. Petra is just a little pebble, you know, like a marble size. That's all he is. He's just a little squirt. Now, if you folks have been around, you know that a lot of religions believe that the rock was Peter. But they're two different, they're two different words. So they can't be the same. And that's not arguable. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> So I say, you are Peter upon this rock, and the rock is neuter. Can't refer to Peter. It's referring to the confession that Jesus just just made, and that is oh, the rock. Thank you, thank you. The oh, good call, good catch. Does he need the five hundred? I think he earned it. The 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 rock cannot be referring to. Uh, I just knew it was the difference in gender, uh, <clears throat> and I don't have it with me here. But the rock has to be different than Peter because Peter is in what gender would you guess? Masculine gender. The rock is in feminine gender. Therefore, the basis of the, of the papal system falls entirely upon what I just said. Understand that? Because they believe the papal system is based today on the fact or on their belief that the Peter is the rock, but the rock is feminine and Peter is masculine. They cannot, they're not in agreement. So upon this rock, and that is referring to what he has just said about what it is, and this is a demonstrative pronoun, which means that what has just been said is the rock. So the rock is what you believe about Christ and that he is the son of the living God, the Christ. And that's what we're trying to define and clarify for us so that we have a full and, and, and real understanding of who it was Jesus was. And by the way, we don't go to heaven to see Jesus. This is free. We don't go to heaven to see Jesus. Who do we go to heaven to see? God. Who is our way to see God? Jesus. Jesus is simply the means for us 
getting there to where we will see God. That will be some day. I'm much closer there than some of you. <clears throat> All right. Let's go, to, let's go to the Gospel of John now. <clears throat> and let's put some sus- substance here. Because it is understanding the three time frames of John 16, 28 through 31 that we talked about last week, and we're not going back there again today, when he says, now we know, when Jesus explained to them that at one time he was with God, and then he put that aside and became as one of us, so that when he was here he was not God, therefore we have to have some evidence as to where you came from, because my If he was God when he was here, there would be no need for any evidence as to where he came from. But everybody was having to have that evidence because when he was here and while he was here, he was as typo. One of us. Now we know. Remember that last week. What was it? Well, now we begin in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John defining these things. Let's begin with verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. We'll move right along because of the first two verses we've already covered. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That's the distinction between the Father and the Son. The Son is always subordinate to the Father. They're not equal. The Father was forever The Son was a created being. Somewhere along the line before time. We don't know that. We don't know about that. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In other words, you glorify me now as a man so that I can glorify you as the Father. What a function for man. So even as you gave him... Authority. So where did his authority come from? Came from the Father over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give. That is, the potential is there for all. That's why the word may is used, may give eternal life, subject to how a person and individual responds to it. Verse 3, this is the life. And we explained last week about the word eternal. It's really not the word eternal there. This is the life of the ages. So he's talking about what happens. You gain this quality of life when your thinking is right about Jesus Christ. This is the life. And they dropped the article, and that's a shame, because he's talking about the life that distinguishes it from all other life. Which reminds me, I've got to pause here. Because when he says life, he's talking about the life. The life that is the potential of every human being who has the right thinking about who Jesus Christ is. But let's look at that word life for just a moment. 
This is free too. There is a unique word for life. It and its derivatives are used 763 times. Anyone want to challenge that number? Go to counting. In the Hebrew, I'm speaking of particularly, 763 times this word and its derivatives are used to define a life that is never applied to plants and vegetation. So it is talking, first of all, that is not what Jesus is talking about when he says the life of John 17.3, but he's talking about those who have the kind of life that we're talking about now in the general sense. It is unique. It's unique to people. Secondly, one of the definitives of this life is that living things move. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 21, you don't need to go to it, Alex, God created great whales and every living creature that moveth. So another unique thing about living things is that they're different from here, different from animal, plants and vegetation, but they are things that are identified because they move. It is used of insects sneaking around on the floor of the earth. It is used of large beasts stalking and moving freely through the wild lands of the earth. Living things have the ability to move independently. So they are unique in movement. Now this is all a part of where we want to go in John 17, 3. The third thing is, not only is he talking here about a unique life that belongs to humanity, about things that move, unique in movement, and then also the uniqueness in the source of this life is in the blood, Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's unique to the things that move and to the things that the word is used for accepting plants and vegetation. And then above all those qualities that we share with other living things, we were especially created in the image of God. So we have the common elements of life that distinguish us from plants and vegetation, distinguishes us from them because we have movement, distinguishes us from them because the life of the flesh is in the blood, and if a moving creature has blood, it is alive. We have all of those above qualities. We share them with other living things, but we are especially created in the image of God. And that makes an enormous difference. In the life that he's talking about in John 17 and verse 3, he's talking about a a particular uniqueness of life that belongs to only those amongst these other living creatures 
who are able to grasp and understand the origin and the mission and the future of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's the life. And in that life, there is freedom that is contingent on who you are, not on the conditions of the world around you. So in verse 3, this is the life. This is John 17, verse 3. They may, that they may know you. So that's why we are spending so much time on this. And so that those of you, and by the way, even though there's just a few of us here, let's remember that because we are here, everyone else in the area is held responsible by God for what's going on here, whether they're here or not. You know that? This is the life. <clears throat> this is the life of the ages, that they may know you. <clears throat> That's our focus. That's the focus of the chart. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4. <clears throat> I glorified you on the earth. So there's, there again is the mission that Jesus is saying that differed from Jesus, God's mission. He came to fulfill the mission that God sent him to do. So there's the difference. I glorified you on the earth. I brought recognition to you here on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. They're not equals. The Son is always subject to the Father. You have given me a job, and I have done it. Now, Father, in verse 5, <clears throat> Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And that's what he had set aside in Philippians chapter 2 to come and be as one of us. He's telling us now that he had, with the Father, had participated in a recognition that no one else had ever participated, anyone else had ever participated in before. That's the uniqueness of Christ. And I, I want to suggest to you today that if you're here or you know of anyone who understands that Jesus came with a mission and had come from the Father, Father, uh, folks, you can't believe that and not have it alter and change your life. If anyone in this room has come from God and you had verification of that and could evidence your origin as one of us, we'd pay unique attention to you. And he became a historical figure once and for all time because the sacrifice was, a, was capable of happening just once. Once for all. He only died, had to die one time. It was sufficient for all time. But when we understand that Jesus came here as one of us and he came from God, his origin was heaven. His origin was the glory that he had with the Father before the world was. And then we want to stoop down to Hinduism or Buddhism. 
with no origin anywhere except in the mind of man. I have verse 6. Well, let's go down to verse 7. We've got to keep going here. Now, now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Now, that's a part of, our, part of one of the passages in our text, that Jesus came as one of us. He did what he did, not as one of us, but because he was enabled, as the apostles were, to do what he could not do as being just one of us. So he was enabled, again, as the apostles were enabled, to do things to give clarification and documentation as to his origin. The you, they have come to know you. The disciples have come to know you. That everything you have given me is from where? All right. From the Father. Verse 8. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. So where did his words come from? From the Father. You're catching on. You're doing good. And they received them. And so the apostles were receiving those words that God had given to him. And truly understand. Notice what they understood. That I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. That's why they said in chapter 16 and verse 28 and 29, Now we know. He's building this access to God and this visitation with God on that statement. So I ask on their hand, of their ha- behalf of them uh, in verse 9, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. That's the disciples. Verse 10, And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. The disciples are going to remain, but I'm leaving. They themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. When are they one with Christ and one with the Father? When they remain constant in the name. And folks, today, we are the same oneness with God and with the apostles when we stay in the name. That is, the full disclosure of who Jesus was. So in verse 12, oh, let's, let's skip over to verse 17. There is so much on here that I, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's go to verse 17, uh, chapter, uh, verse 20. Let's go all the way down to verse 22. Guys, we're running out of time, and I want to finish this today. The glory which you have given me, this is verse 22 of chapter 17, the glory which you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. So when Jesus said the Father and I are one, now it includes the disciples, and then he says later here that all of those who believe in them are going to be one too. That doesn't make us all equally gods, nor does it make us all equal. 
It's just we are all equal in purpose and in character. That ought to be clear. The glory which you have given me, in verse 22, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. That's the Christy. That's the basis upon which the oneness is established. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that's the twelve apostles, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. So in verse 5, we have the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. We read about that a few moments ago. Now he loved him before the foundation of the world. So we had one coming to be with us who had been loved by the Father, who had been recognized as unique before he had come. He put that aside in Philippians chapter 2 to become as one of us to fulfill a mission in our behalf. Verse 25, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have, these have known that you sent me. That's the key. Do we believe that Jesus was the one that the Father sent? And when we come to that, we believe, we will begin to see that his authority is authentic and that when he passed it on to the twelve apostles as the executors of his will, we will take them serious. I have made, verse 26, your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And then we go from there back to verse 20. So he is saying the love that I had, now through what I have taught them, they can love you as you love me And then in verse 20, which we didn't read, but let's read verses 20 and 21, the same chapter, John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So when we believe what the apostles have said about who it was that Jesus was, then we come into the same category as the apostles were. We have the same recognition. We have the same love of the Father that they had. It is ours potentially. And so when he says, this is the life, that's the life of which he speaks. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 21, see? They may all be one. Everyone who believes in who Jesus is because of what the apostles said may all be one. They're all one because of how they come to a knowledge of Christ. If your knowledge of Christ hasn't come through that route, you need to go back and start over again. Some people just bang their head against the wall. And when you get their head banged enough against the wall to where the wall splits out, all of a sudden they break through and, wow, they're believers. Well, they're not believers in anything that's real. Only thing there a belief in is that their head is tougher than the wall. That's nothing at all. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So all of those who believe in who Jesus was 
are one with the Father, the same as God was with Christ, and that Christ was with the apostles. So that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's the, that's the basis upon which the world will become evangelized when we all come to grips with who it was that Jesus really was and that his origin was with God and that when he came, he came as one of us and had to document and verify of his origin. We have been stressing this point because I see in the churches how weak we are on how we have come to a belief in who Jesus was and that for the most part it is emotional and not substantial. We need to come to grips that what it is what the apostles have revealed to us about who Jesus was that we must believe, grasp, and integrate into our thinking so that not only then do we have the promise of life, this life, this life of which he speaks, but we have the freedom that results from it that Jesus promised in John chapter 8. We're going to close today with that. Our time is gone. Remember that it is the confession that Jesus made that God revealed, that God took the cover off of who Jesus was because there was no evidence that Jesus was from anybody any more than from just a guy from Nazareth. He had to have evidence. There had to be knowledge. There had to be substantial evidence to support the idea that as a man, he was really a man that had come from heaven. And when we believe that, folks, it makes a difference in what we think, how we live, and how we treat one another. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today. I don't know what it is, but it'll it'll happen. Something will happen. You do believe in evolution, surely. All right?